Good morning, Gathering Midtown fam. Oof, what a week. Uh, this is Tip Levitt, worship pastor here at Gathering Midtown, and I am just so excited to bring you guys the third week of Black History Month um, highlights. We're going to give you a Black History leader uh, from the present, from the past, a book recommendation, and a movie recommendation. Let's get into it. I'm so excited um, for the things I'm going to share with you guys this week. So um, our Black history leader from the present is Jason Petty, also known as Propaganda, uh, former history teacher turned rapper, poet, um, a social activist, etc. So um, got lots of albums out, um, have a couple of really great podcasts out that he does with his wife. Um, and one on politics called Hood Politics. It's super, super great. Check it out. Um, And all of the things that he puts out, it's like a history lesson. He used to be a history teacher, you know? So like he puts history and and bits and pieces of um, uh, political commentary into um, everything that he does. And I feel like I am a smarter, more informed citizen from, from listening to his music. So check it out. Super, super great stuff. Um, our black leader from the past, um, we're going to be talking about James Cone. Um, James Cone born in Arkansas in 1938, super, super segregated time. Um, but went on to um, go to school for uh, theology and divinity. And um, he is basically the father of black liberation theology. Now, I know that there's maybe a little bit of like, hmm, what is black liberation theology? So let me just read you a quote from Cohn himself. Um, black liberation theology is an understanding of the gospel which sees justice for the poor as the very heart of what the Christian gospel is about and the very heart of what God is doing in this world. Rooted in the teachings of Jesus, um, you know, rooted in that idea of caring for widows and orphans and the poor and the marginalized, um, and also rooted in um, a theology that um, is rooted in Exodus 3, right? The the liberation of God's people, um, the Israelites from Egypt um, and from an oppressive rule in um, in Pharaoh's rule. So um, really, really important stuff for the black community, really, really important stuff for the Christian community and, and the uh, all the mixing of the two, right? So um, really important stuff. Um, James Cone also has several books out, um, that are, are really important to, um, uh, the movements, uh, that are happening today, um, that are having success. Like let's, let's be real. Some of the movements that are out there, um, are just kind of spinning their wheels. Um, but, uh, all of the movements that are having success today and that are reaching people and that are doing things, are rooted in a theology um, that seeks to um, uplift the gospel and uplift those who cannot uplift themselves. So um, really, really beautiful stuff in Black Liberation Theology. We're so grateful 
for um, James Cone and what he has um, presented in Black Liberation Theology. Um, check out any of his books. Um, uh, he's got um, several books out. He's got a memoir out that he uh, published in 2018 before his death in 2018. So um, really, really great stuff. Check it out. It's important. That's some, some important work. Um, speaking of important work, um, we're moving on to our book, uh, The New Jim Crow. Um, not a very lighthearted, fun book to read, but it's a very, very important read uh, by Michelle Alexander. So um, this book highlights the um, systems that have been put in place in the education system uh, to continue to suppress and um, lead students into a system that um, sets them up for failure. So uh, it is so important. Um, it really, really highlights a lot of things. Um, it's not light reading, so you gotta be in a good headspace, but um, really, really good stuff. We want to change systems uh, to lift people up, not um, uh, continue to oppress people. And uh, this book is is uh, incredibly informative um, about about those things. So um, check that out. And lastly, um, beautiful movie, Harriet, folks. If you have not seen this, um, gosh, it's so good and it's beautifully done. Um, highlights the life of Harriet Tubman um, and the amazing things that she did um, as a part of the Underground Railroad and the amazing things that she did um, for uh, to liberate slaves and to um, help the Union. Um, she was a spy. She was a cool, cool lady. So um, just and it does so cinematically and um, in just a really, really, really beautiful way. So um, highly recommend that. Um, does have some strong, um, images, uh, for, for little kids. So I wouldn't necessarily, um, recommend this for, uh, little kids, but, uh, I think you, you could definitely, um, show this to your older kiddos, um, who are, um, who are ready for those kind of things. Um, really, really important movie, really, really, really important figure in, um, in black history, uh, for the, that's Harriet Tubman. She did, um, amazing things. So, um, yeah, check out that movie. Um, and that's all I got you guys. So, um, thank you so much for listening. I've been, um, really, really touched by the emails and the, um, calls that I've gotten that you guys have enjoyed this. So I hope I, I hope you guys enjoyed this one too. I hope you guys are safe and warm. Um, if you need anything, please reach out to us. Um, we love you. Um, let's make Black History an all-year thing, not just a month thing. In 42 days, we will celebrate Easter, also known as Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to blink, and it'll be here. Today is the first weekend of the season of Lent, and I know that uh, many of you may be new to this practice, and that's okay. There are, are some churches who operate strictly on the church calendar and lectionary, and if you've been a part of any traditional mainline denomination, you've most likely experienced some form of this. 
Um, there's also many churches who operate completely independent from um, the church lectionary or calendar, and that's okay. That was my experience growing up. Um, our church is more of a hybrid right in the middle, and probably the two biggest spiritual seasons that we've seen a lot of fruit from practicing are the seasons of Advent and the seasons of Lent. And they are these two big seasons of soul preparation prior to and building up to the big seasons of Christmas and Easter. And it's easy in places like San Antonio um, to think that Lent is a Roman Catholic thing. In fact, many Christians believe that. Um, and while Roman Catholics do practice it, and often more faithfully, uh, we would say Lent is a Christian thing. Lent is a follower of Jesus thing that has its roots going back to the early um, first century in the early church. Of all the words that I would use to describe Lent, I always land on the word honesty. Lent is a time to be honest with God, with ourselves, and be honest with others. Now, while we're being honest, let's acknowledge that we as people tend to hide, lie, masquerade, wear fake smiles. We uh, say what the other person wants to hear, etc. And we are pretty sophisticated when it comes to remaining in our sin or hiding in our sin, defending our sin, pretending we haven't sinned, or outright justifying our sin. And none of those forms of spiritual gymnastics are helpful or holy. And one of the constant messages of Jesus in the Gospels is repent and believe. Lent is a time where we live into repentance and belief in a deeper way than we normally would. Now, I know that we don't use the word Lent every day in our language. Uh, humorously, when I first heard people talk about Lent, I thought they were talking about that stuff in the dryer or your belly button. It's fascinating to understand where the word comes from. Lent has its roots in the old English word that means length. And it refers to the lengthening of daylight in the springtime. It's a great picture of the gospel. As the physical world experiences an increase of sunlight each day, followed by the sprouting of new life, we are reminded that light beats darkness and that the restoration of life is on the way. Lent means length. Now, it feels odd saying this because right now, when I'm recording this on Thursday, it's snowing outside in Texas for the second time this week. But Lent means that more sunlight is on the way. This Lent, our theme is hug your cactus. Think of that. Hug your cactus. If you've been around any uh, spiritual direction or counseling, you may have heard this phrase or one similar called sit in your weeds. Um, or if you've been in the 12 steps, you've heard the first step is admitting you have a problem. Hug your cactus, sit in your weeds, admit that you have a problem. They're all basically saying the same thing. In order to find healing and freedom and deliverance, you must first turn to your problem and face it. And in an odd way, embrace it, no matter how painful it is, so that you can actually then surrender it with all of its pain to Jesus. Hugging your cactus is not what Adam and Eve did. They literally did the opposite. They did not hug the cactus, they hid behind it, or a bush. You get the point. 
They ran and they hid from God when they sinned. And it required an invitation from God to say, Adam, where are you? In other words, in Genesis 3, God was not asking Adam a GPS question as if God had lost the only humans on earth. He was inviting Adam to be honest and to hug his cactus. Now, I want to show you um, a short video. It's about two minutes long, and it's where we're getting this phrase, hug the cactus from. It involves Robert Downey Jr. If you know anything about him, you know you might know his background um, with some of the addictions and some of the behavior that he was wrapped up in. And he was um, have kind of he kind of turned his life around and was experiencing some success. And he was, you know, given some award. And it was I think it was in front of these Hollywood types um, that he was getting some award. And he asked Mel Gibson to present it to them, which was kind of odd. Um, kind of the thing about Mel Gibson is, uh, you know, in Hollywood, you can get away with a lot. I mean, you can really have a lot of different views and a lot of different behaviors. Um, but there's like only like a couple of things you just can't do in Hollywood. And Mel Gibson has, has done like a couple of them and he's kind of been on the outside of things. And so uh, Robert Downey Jr. had asked Mel Gibson to come and present this award to him. And after the award, he kind of goes into this speech about how Mel Gibson helped him. And he asked the people there to offer Mel the same forgiveness and second chance that they offered Robert Downey Jr. And, and in particular, the, the phrase, hug your cactus, um, and, and Robert's testimony on that um, is really powerful. And I'd like for you to watch it right now. Actually, I asked Mel to present uh, this award to me for a reason, because when I couldn't get sober, he told me not to give up hope, and he urged me to find my faith. Didn't have to be his or anyone else's as long as it was rooted in forgiveness. And I couldn't get hired, so he cast me in the lead of a movie that was actually developed for him, and he kept a roof over my head, and he kept food on the table. And most importantly, he said, that if I accepted responsibility for my wrongdoings, and if I embraced that part of my soul that was ugly, uh, hugging the cactus, he calls it, he said that if I hugged the cactus long enough, I'd become a man of some humility, and that my life would take on a new meaning. And I did, and it worked. Um, all he asked in return was that uh, someday I help the next guy in some small way. Uh, it's reasonable to assume that at the time he didn't imagine the next guy would be him. <laughs> or that someday was tonight. <laughs> so anyway, on this special occasion, and in light of the recent holidays, including Columbus Day, I humbly ask that you join me, unless you are completely without sin, in which case you picked the wrong industry <laughs> in forgiving my friend his trespasses offering him the same clean slate you have me and allowing him to continue his great and ongoing contribution to our collective art without shame he's hugged the cactus long enough If you have a Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at where Jesus kind of faces the cactus, or he faces several temptations, so to speak. 
as we read this, we'll find uh, three types of temptations that Jesus faces. And I'd like for you to notice them and just to note the essence um, or the background of each one of these temptations. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Hear the word of our Lord. There's a lot that could be said here. It's really a deep passage, and I want to point out three things while only majoring on one of them here. Um, kind of the first thing is, this is one of three times that the voice of the devil is recorded in Scripture. His actions and his effects are... Um, all throughout the Bible, but only three times do we hear his voice, which is pretty fascinating. The first is in the garden, the second is in Job, and this time is the third. And what's striking about this account, which is different, is that it's the only one where he is drawn out of the shadows and out of his obscure angles at, uh, that he usually attacks from, and he's brought face to face with Jesus, the God who became man, it is a face the cactus moment for Jesus. And Jesus here confronts the cactus or the, the temptations and he wins. Um, so there's so much you could say about that. and There's books written on it, but it's just kind of fascinating to know this is the, the third time that we see the voice of the devil. Second, all of these temptations are an attack on Jesus's identity. The devil says, if you're the son of God, now, before these temptations, Jesus heard the audible voice of God at his baptism, and the voice said, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And if that's not an affirmation of identity, I don't know what is. And immediately on the heels of that affirmation of Jesus' identity from God his Father, Jesus hears, if you're the beloved son of God, and then the subsequent temptations all deal with Jesus engaging in various things to satisfy and secure the root of his identity. Truly, temptation is really an identity crisis. And it's the same thing going on with all of us today. Um, honestly, of all the conversations I've had with people, you can boil all of our problems and our hurts and our hangups down to we don't know who we are. 
Now, the third, um, the last thing, and what I want to highlight for you is that the three temptations Jesus faces are the same basic three temptations that we face today. I know it feels crazy to suggest that every temptation that everyone has ever faced can be distilled down to just three, but the longer I see it and the longer I study it and the more I experience human behavior, the more convinced I am that there are really only three basic temptations. They come in lots of different forms and mediums for sure. But from a foundation, these are the seeds in which everything springs from. In the temptations, the devil attacks Jesus' identity in three distinct ways, and they're super easy to understand and remember. And because I'm a pastor, they're all going to start with the same letter, and we don't even need to journey far into the alphabet. Let's stop at the letter A because that's good enough. The three temptations are, and you've heard me say this before, appetite, approval, and ambition. Jesus was tempted with his appetite to turn these stones into bread. He was tempted with the desire for affirmation, jump from the temple and prove that God will catch you. And Jesus faced the temptation of ambition. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. They are mine to give. There are three temptations, or for our use, three cacti, appetite, approval, and ambition. Is your cactus an appetite cactus? What are the different appetites that you go after for control or for relief? For some, it's food. For some, it's sex or pornography. For some, it's the gym or their body image and health. For some, it's personal comfort or TV or social media or a substance of some sort. Do you have a cactus of an appetite in your life? Is your cactus an approval cactus? What are the ways that you look for affirmation and identity from others? You know, you could ask yourself, is it important for you to have people think that you're good at your job or that you're a good husband or wife or a good parent? Do you want people to think that you're smart or cool or that you dress well? Do you hunger for people to like you? Is being popular something important to you? Is it crucial that people think you're successful? If so, your cactus might be an approval cactus. Is your cactus an ambition cactus? Now, with ambition, it's really kind of an addiction to success or winning, and it's never enough, honestly. We see a lot of ambition cacti show up in politics. If you look at the language, it's often about winning and fighting and victory and defeating your foes. You know, often when we look into that landscape, the cactus is ambition. We see it in business as well. We see it in church as well. You know, if ambition is one of your cacti, here's some ways you could hug it. When was the last time you intentionally lost an argument? Or when was the last time you refused to win by having the last word? There's a great Dallas Willard story who he was a, a teacher of, I think, philosophy at the University of Southern California. And he's, Dallas has been one of the great minds that has contributed to um, spiritual formation in, our, in this past generation. And a friend of his recounted the story. He was visiting Dallas in the classroom. And at the end of the class, a very young, arrogant student, who's a freshman, just started arguing with Dallas over some philosophical thing. And they were going back and forth. And it was obvious to everyone in the class that this kid 
thought he knew everything, didn't know anything. And Dallas was really patient with him. And um, right before the, the bell rung, the student made some dumb statement that had kind of teed up Dallas to just really put him in his place. And then the bell rung and Dallas smiled and said, that sounds like a good place to end the class. Everyone's dismissed. And after everyone filed out, this uh, friend of Dallas came over and he said, Dallas, what were you, why did you do that? You could have humiliated that student and put him in his place. And Dallas, in the way only he could say, said, I was practicing the discipline of not having the last word. You know, if ambition and winning is one of your cacti in your life, perhaps this week you could practice the discipline of not having the last word or not winning an argument. If you're playing a game, have you ever lost on purpose as an act of spiritual discipline? Have you ever played a game just to play or do your board games get really, really contentious because you have to win and you have to beat the other person because ambition and achievement is one of your cacti? Have you ever gone the extra mile at work and didn't tell anyone? Now, like I mentioned earlier, so much of our breakdown in discipleship and spiritual formation is not knowing who we actually are or who we belong to. And as a result, we tend to cultivate sinful cacti in our life, trying to get our identity from them. Arnie and Ruby have been trying to conceive and have a child and after five years, they decided to finally adopt the baby boy. Surprisingly, a short time after the adoption, Ruby discovered she was pregnant and she gave birth to a boy. And one day when the two boys were eight or nine, uh, someone visiting the family asked, which boy is yours? Ruby said, both of them. The visitor replied, no, I, I mean, which one is adopted? And without hesitation, Ruby answered, I've forgotten. When we're adopted as God's children, we quickly come to cherish our Heavenly Father's forgetfulness. For He chooses to forget our sins. He chooses to forget our wayward past. He chooses to forget that we were once rebellious enemies. And He gives us the full rights of sons or daughters. And he looks at us and he treats us as if we've never sinned. We are forgiven. And our identity is being in the beloved son or daughter of God alongside Jesus. We're not just tolerated. God doesn't just put up with us. He accepts you. And if someone were to ask, which one is your real son or daughter? I believe like Ruby, God would say, I've forgotten. In Romans 8, Paul writes, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are, Father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, 
then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. The gospel is the proclamation that through the work of Christ on the cross, you are no longer a stranger or an enemy to God the Father, but in fact, he has adopted you and you are his kid and that's your identity. This Lent, when we survey our need, when we survey our cacti, and when we survey the wondrous cross, one of the messages the cross screams at us is that God our Father stands up and he sees us and he says, you're mine, I want you, I'll adopt you, I'll forget your sins. So my friends, my brothers and sisters, now is the time to turn to your cactus, to face your cactus, to hug your cactus, and maybe even to reckon with your cactus. Now is the time to sit in your weeds and to admit and confess that you have a problem. And while you're hugging your cactus, look to the cross and eventually exchange your cactus for the Christ and hear the voice of God, your Father, who sees you and who stands and screams, you are mine, I want you, I adopt you, I'll give you a new identity, I'll give you a new heart, I'll give you a new adventurous and expectant life. Father, that is, I believe, all of our heart's desires. Sometimes our lives look like the desert surrounded by fields of cacti. God, we confess there's nothing we can do to get rid of them, really. There's no amount of performance. There's no amount of gymnastics or contortion that we could do to truly get set free from the painful things in our life. But God, in this moment, we turn to them and we acknowledge them. And we ask for you to shine a light on them. We ask that you would search our hearts and reveal to us where cacti have sprouted up in our life without us even realizing it. We give you permission to do that, Lord. And give us the, the, the courage and the fortitude to face the cactus and to hug the cactus and to look to the cross and to exchange the cactus for the pierced Christ on the tree. God, we ask even in this moment, those who are watching and listening, who may not even be sure they're believers yet, God, I pray you would do the supernatural miracle work of creating a son or daughter right now. That you would whisper your love to them, that you would whisper to them and even shout to them that they are yours, not because of anything they've done, but because it's your idea and because you are rich in love. Lord, we ask that in this moment you would create new hearts, new lives, turn hearts of stone this Lenten season into hearts of flesh, brand new life, ready to go on adventure with you. It's the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen.